Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Kenny, Lady Chow Fung, and Adam, and we're going to talk about Reign of Assassins, a 2010 movie uh, directed by Su Chow Pin and co-directed by John Wu with action direction by Stephen Tung. Uh, this movie is about a character named Shi Yu, a Darkstone assassin who flees the martial world with the Bodhidharma's remains. On her way, she meets a monk who guides her on a new path. She finds love and lives a normal life until Darkstone finds her and forces her to take one last mission. So, uh, with that out of the way, guys, um, what did you think of this film before we get into the discussion? I enjoyed it. I thought it was really like, well acted by the actors. Like, I felt quite invested in the relationships generated throughout the movie. You know, he, not just the main characters, there's also um, one of the assassins, Lee Bin, and his uh, dreams and aspirations of, of having a noodle shop of his wife in a, in a far away from, you know, the martial world. Um, and I quite like the action scenes. I had a, uh, a, the, some of the, the, the camera work was a bit um, iffy, in my opinion, with the freeze frames when the needles were being fired. That happened quite often throughout the fights, and I thought it was quite jarring, so I didn't like that, but the rest of it was quite well shot, and the action scenes were nice, but didn't flow as well as it could have done, I thought, as well. Maybe I'm just spoiled by sort of, like, fight scenes from a lot of movies, but um, it was a little bit um, erratic, shall we say, some of the movements that were being used. I enjoyed the film. I was talking to Brandon earlier in the week about how much I love this film. I love the characters. I was deeply invested from the very beginning. The way it opened with the uh, fight scene was great. Um, I enjoyed the fight scenes. I thought they were pretty cool. Um, it was just all around. The storyline was great. There was, I have no complaints about this film. Yeah, I I thought this was a really solid movie too, and uh, I, I I like Kenny's point about you know the Lay Bin storyline, how you know it's you're invested in all the characters, and I mean that's just there there isn't a lot of time devoted to that, so it's it's impressive how you know interested in that I was for the amount of time it took, and uh, and I also have to agree with Kenny on the freeze frames on the darts thing. It was one of those things where it. You know, watching it streaming on Amazon, I kept thinking, "Oh, is my, you know, is my 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 stream kind of freezing up on me?" It it felt like that same effect, and it and it, and it was only after like a few times I thought, "Oh, it's only happening when a dart is flying." Therefore, I guess it's intentional, but it 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 didn't it didn't work for me. But other than that, that's that's the only thing I can complain about in the whole movie, and that's that's pretty minor. So, yeah, I, I it was a fantastic movie. Yeah, for for me, this one is up there with Swordsmaster, and just it's just one of these great recent Usha movies, and I think that it really works. Um, I think I think it does come down to the characters and sort of being fully invested in everything. I I I really liked the action choreography, but I do understand your point about the freeze frame because I had the same reaction. Uh, I was watching it on DVD when I first saw it, but I thought my DVD player was messing up, and. I think what they were trying to do was just draw your attention to the fact that this really hard to see weapon is being thrown and freezing the frame is like a way to do that. Um, but I thought that the other, there were other moments where um, it, it worked better. Like when he would like, like when it was almost like he was posing at the end of throwing a needle rather than having him freeze midair. Uh, 
that was kind of a little bit I don't know it was I think it was a little bit disoriented otherwise I thought the the action choreography really worked especially with the um the water shedding sword technique stuff and just like the mm-hmm. you know like the um mainly the stuff to do with Michelle Yeoh's action sequences but 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 just in general even even when it seemed like maybe the actor probably wasn't too good at doing action stuff I felt like the action director and the and uh and the director were good enough at at getting it to work and uh and I wasn't a hundred percent sure like I never had a a moment where I knew oh this person isn't doing something that looks good if you pan out a little bit but I had my suspicions and so I think uh I think that they were pretty good at sort of making everything look good, even if it might not have. Um, but but yeah, so I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, what uh, I don't know, I guess um, what what did you guys think of of the different characters individually? Like, did any of them stand out to you? Uh, did you guys have any favorites? I feel like Turquoise Leaf, um, the new, the new, uh, the <laughs> replacement for Drizzle, could have been removed from the movie with no detriment. Like I, I, I get that there may be some sort of like weird counterpoint to the twisted love story, yeah, you know, between her and um, and the Wheel King, for example. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like without her existence, the movie would probably have been just about the same anyway. Well, I think she was important because she brings out characters qualities in um wheel king that you might not mm-hmm. otherwise have realized were there mm. and so i think like um you know like his affection for her seems genuine if if bizarre and uh and and his you know the whole thing of him wanting to be a real you know uh, like a man and not a eunuch anymore um that it might have been hard to convey that longing without her character there i feel like um yeah she also spends a lot of time needling drizzle in the movie too i mean that kind of adds tension i mean it it makes it makes things you know a little heavier so i i I mean i i I get the movie would work without her but i feel like she did add something but did did you not like her as a character kenny did you find her annoying or just not working for you no like i mean her, her justification for killing her first husband was also a bit like Okay, he was impotent, so you killed him and his parents. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's just like something about a character which didn't work for me, as as opposed to everyone else. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can perfectly understand some of the motivation. Like, even the the magician, for example, I feel like you know he 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 works in that. You know, even though he's like doing tricks and stuff, he's learning martial arts he's trying to fuse the two maybe he's trying to form his own way in the world and make a make a make himself famous that way leave a legacy in one way or another and leave in like he had a family he's like you know we we heard about what his ambitions were he wanted to have a noodle shop it was relatively simple you knew what he wanted you knew what he was trying to get and toy quest leaf i mean what was she supposed to be? I mean, she the, the 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 first time we see her in action is when um when she was sleeping with a guy who she then proceeded to chop in bits, chop into bits. Uh, is she is she just supposed to be there to be a psycho character? I think or was that's she on it. Job? I think okay. she's a psych. I think she's meant to be like a psycho. I think she's I think she's a psycho, and like the only kind of person she can really connect with is Wheel King. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the that was my reading on her but 
Yeah, I think, too, it's noteworthy that she's the youngest character. I mean, the other characters are more these seasoned kind of professional assassin types that have been at it for a while. And she's the she's the new person who just like, I mean, she is a psycho, I agree. But it's also this to her impulsiveness and she's trying to prove herself. And I don't know. I mean, she doesn't she doesn't have this deep, long motivation like the others. But I think that in itself is noteworthy. Dion, what did you what did you think of it? I thought um, Turquoise Leap, I kind of agree with Kenny. Not that the movie would have been any better. I like that she brought out the um, weirdness, I guess, in The Wheel King. And you brought it brought out the, the story of his um, being castrated and wanting to be the real man. But I would have liked to have known a little bit more about what drove her psychotic. Because I don't think she was psychotic. When she she was psychotic when she killed her husband and the family, but what drove her to that? Because she just I don't know. Like Kenny said, that background story for her is a little. It's not enough to believe in that character and her psychoticness. There seems to be something even further back that I think I needed to know to really to get into that character. Like I loved all the other characters and their backstories, especially. Um, Levin, I loved him and I felt really bad for him. You know, I wanted him to live and I wanted him to go out of the Capitol and have that noodle shop. Her, I could have cared one way or the other what happened to her. Well, I think you were almost supposed to be a little afraid of her. Like, I think she was supposed to add a sense of like, what's going on here? Is uh, is Ashung going to get his head chopped off? That sort of thing, but and I was I wasn't afraid of her, and I knew that when that scene came, I knew she really hadn't done it, mm. you know. So it wasn't like I had a, even an inkling that she really did kill him. Even the first time I saw it, it was just like I wonder what's inside the bag because it's not his head, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, I just wasn't as invested in her as I was everyone else. Okay, okay. I kind of liked her, but I liked her in the same way I like a character like Devil Grandma from Magic Blade, where she's an eccentric, really evil, strange character, but it doesn't go much deeper than that, I think. And she adds, a, you know, like like she can add dimension to some of the other people. Um, now, I'm, why don't we just go through every character? Like, what you guys mentioned Lee Bin. What did you guys think of him? I mean, I know you mentioned a few things already, but uh, let, let's try exploring each one. I loved him. I, I've, I wanted, like I said, I wanted him to live, and I felt bad for him—a wife and a baby—and just wanting to own a noodle shop. You know, he got tired of the life, and he just wanted something better. If um, Drizzle could find her way out, I was hoping that he could find his way out too. I wanted the best for him because I, I kind of felt like he was. You know how in The Five Deadly Venoms, the snake kind of has this moment where he is contemplating why he's doing all this? I think that was him all over again for me. Uh, Le Bin was the snake. He was conflicted. He wanted out. He stood there. He didn't automatically fight with the magician. He didn't automatically fight with the wheel king. He had to actually stand there and think about it. So he was really conflicted on how to get out of the process, but he wanted out so bad. And I, that really invested me in him. And, and I actually, I want to talk about that scene. I'm going to write this down because I want to talk about that scene later and that decision. But um, 
Uh, yeah, and as I say, like I, I, I partially agree um, with Lady Chao Feng there about Laban, but I, I also feel like all of the assassins were people maybe raised up by the Wheel King in the same way that Turquoise Leaf was. Hmm. So uh, he's like a figure of authority um, in a very abusive way, and that they probably don't know how to detach uh, themselves from him. Um, I mean, it looks like outside of their job, they get to do whatever they want. I mean, um, you, you see the magician interacting with uh, other sort of um, fledgling magicians in his spare time, and you see Laban getting married, having children, and you know, trying to invent uh, instant noodles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have some concerns about his methodology too for that. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's just like. I, I, I feel like he wasn't so much thinking about the pros and cons during the, um, the sort of the fight scene with, uh, um, with with the Wheel King and the Magician there. It was more like he's trying to get over his fear of the Wheel King in, um, to take the first step into leaving this life of an assassin behind him. But ultimately he wasn't able to take that step because well, his fear of the, of the Wheel King and the Dark Zone Assassins ultimately just took over. I think um, I mean I, I said we get into it later, but I guess we should get into it now. There's a there's a like a, there's a standoff like after like one of the big uh, like when they when they, the the whole the whole like uh, premise of this movie is a lot of it is centered around the acquisition of the Bodhidharma's remains, which are divided in two. And when they actually acquire them, uh, the magician decides like, hey, I want to take this this body for myself. Uh, you know, you, I'll give the money to Li Bin and. Um, and Drizzle can go and live a normal life, and all we have to do is kill Wheel King, and together we can do that. And Lee Bin is sort of the decide. He's like the one who kind of makes. He's sort of in the middle and sits there just deciding what to do for a really long time. Um, one thing that I noticed happens before he makes his decision is Drizzle doesn't kill Turquoise. She, she, uh, she strikes her with her with her water sword, and the tip just barely touches her neck and she basically says i could have killed you but i didn't and turquoise says that's because you're no longer drizzle and i'm wondering if maybe he made that decision because he realized she wasn't going to be killing anybody in that fight um but i don't know i don't know i feel like two on one like uh, the magician and Laban could have posed a threat to the Wheel King. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like what the magician was saying was that with the addition of Drizzle, it would be a sure thing, like mm-hmm. 100% guaranteed win. Whereas maybe without her, it was like 50-50 type of thing. Yeah. And it, yeah, maybe, maybe that's sort of what the, the, the odds were going on in Laban's mind as well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, because I, I, that's a scene that like always has me wondering because he really sits there just kind of staring off and making like a calculated decision, and I'm not sure, you know, what was you know what ultimately pushed him over the edge to go and because he he decides to fight with the Wheel King, and then that kind of helps propel the rest of the movie, um, but uh, but yeah, so I don't know. Let's uh, you know, let's let's move on down the line. What do people think of the magician character? We didn't really get a lot of information about him. Like we see, we get the sort of one scene where he gets some exposition with talking with the youngsters, and he's like, yeah, showing off that he his um, conjuring skills or his sleight of hand stuff is much more impressive than what they did. What they did, um, and 
I I I like his flair. I mean, his sort of way of fighting. Um, I, I, know, I generally sort of like these sort of unpredictable type of fighters. Like you know, here and there, they can sprinkle out a fireball at you. you know, not necessarily real fireball, but you know, the, the sort of the illusions and the trickery that they come up with always makes for interesting fight scenes. I feel like they could have done a little bit more because they're in these sort of proper fight scene we had get is with, with the magician and the wheel king mm-hmm. and all he really did is uh have a pair of flaming swords and then at some point he threw his cloak that that started I, burning i think the reason why is they were trying to they didn't want us to know how good he was until the very end because that's almost like a question mark writing like that's sort of like is hovering over his character um one of the things i liked about him too is you see in the scene where uh where uh lee bin is making his noodles and they're sort of I guess reuniting after having just found her again. Uh, you know, he talks about how he's like, he's just healing up after like their last mission and he just wants time to heal and he's already being sent to go do something else. And so you get this sense that he's like really tired of working for the Wheel King and he feels like he's maybe not getting his due as an employee. Um, so I kind of like that. Oh, he, 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 he flat out says that when, yeah. when they're in the conversation. It's like, well, why, why are we working our asses off so that you can reap all the benefits? So, so I kind of, I, I don't know, I found that's a pretty easy thing to identify with. Like, if I were in the martial world, I might start to feel that way if I was working for Wheel King. Um, but, uh, but one of the cool things is on the DVD, they mentioned that his, uh, that really colorful outfit that he wears is supposed to be European in style. Um, and so, and so I sort of built up in my head, this backstory of him going to like, uh, you know, late medieval, early Renaissance Europe or something. And, uh, um, you know, and maybe that's where he got that tortoise powder, uh, that was kind of like the stuff from Romeo and Juliet that he, uh, that he, uh, that he used. Yeah. I like that theory. Yeah. And him, him kind of touring through European courts and doing magic acts yeah. and stuff that, that, that really, I, I like that the character is, is innately kind of interesting, even though we don't get a lot of backstory, but that backstory really, really works for him. Yeah. I thought the magician was um, really relatable. I, I liked him. I wanted him to go and retire off in the sunset, like, you know, but unfortunately you didn't get the chance. <laughs> well, I, I was, I'll go I was ahead. I was also going to say, like the the rope trick. Is it like I I feel like uh, it's Indian in nature. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's sort of uh, the sort of sort of street tricks you see in India is you have the floating rope type things, right? And this is just like an extension of it. The rope just goes up into a cloud the, that you, you see him the, climb. I will say in the um, in the Strange Tales books, there's a lot. There's like a bunch of rope trick stories, or there's at least one that I can think of. Um, so I don't know how, how much, but, but yeah, I think I, I would think of it as coming from, from that region. But, um, but my impression of him is that he's well-traveled. Like, that's why I think like he, he looks down on that other magician. You know what I mean? Like he's still doing tricks. He's not doing real magic, but like he, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he thinks that, you know, he's, he, he's a step ahead of this other guy that's turning wine to ice or whatever. Um, but that rope trick that you mentioned, wasn't in the version we saw we we saw the um we saw the uh hour and 40 minute version i think and my dvd is only an hour and 40 minutes but the version you saw i think you said is closer to two hours right yeah an hour 55 so it's like 50 almost 15 minutes so that 10 minutes extra footage somewhere um i'm not sure what i've got extra that 
maybe clouds my opinion of Turquoise Lee, for example, because I... they tried to show a bit too much of her that didn't make sense. Or... Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Did you see her do anything specific that really bothered you? Maybe that would uh, help us identify. Um... No, I don't think so. Nothing comes to mind. I can't really judge because I don't know what the version is. Yeah. What so, so I guess one of the other characters um, is... Uh, uh, who have we gone through? Oh, uh, um, Ashung, um, who is uh, the love interest for Michelle Yeoh's character. Uh, what do people think of him? I loved him. I thought that it was, he was such a big, lovable, kind of ofi kind of character, hiding um, his mastery of kung fu and swords play. It, just he spent so much of the beginning of the movie just being this nice, lovable kind of Ophi guy. My favorite scene is when he went to deliver the message down the street to the butcher, and inside was the little silver piece and a little note that said punch three times, and he got punched in the face. I thought that was so cute that you know, just made me love him at that moment, and then. From then on, it was just like he has no clue what's going on around him. He's got this wife that's just amazing and do- can do all these things. And another one of my favorite scenes is her fighting in the bank. And uh, she puts him on the chair and he's not, he can't see any of the action. So it's like he's totally clueless to everything. And then you realize when he digs his sword out that he's not really as clueless as you think he is. I think that, that that character was very well written and the way he played it was awesome. Yeah, I really like the scene where, uh, you know, after the whole bank robbery thing and she starts like explaining, he's just like, nope, you know, <laughs> that that scene works really well. He's just like, you don't need to say anything and he just goes off and, you know, starts serving dinner and <laughs> it was uh yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, he is just—he is just such an instantly likable character. I mean, the movie—that's a big part of why the movie works—is just, you know, you're really invested in the main couple in this movie completely. At least I was, and I mean, uh, that—I mean, there's a lot to like about this movie, but but that—that that was just a highlight for me. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think that Al Shang's character was really important, and I really liked the the way the actor played him. Um, yeah, his sort of clumsiness at the beginning was mm-hmm. quite endearing, and um, and he he was shown to be a very kind person, which you know is is a very stark contrast with just about everybody else in the movie that we, <laughs> we see, right? Yeah. Um, but then he has this massive, big, like badass moment where his drawing a rusted sword out of the ground and sharpening it in front of the enemies and then in mid-fight as well is going back to the to the whetstone to sharpen it that was uh, so I, I well that placed was... that scene they like planted all those seeds from the whetstone to like the stones in the ground and him you know they just like everything was perfectly planted i felt for that scene so that when it happened you it just all came together and uh um, yeah I think as, as well, like there was a bit of uh, trying they're trying to misdirect us as well with the the floor tiles because we know that um, that uh, Jin Jing or um, Drizzle had hidden something underground, yeah. and yeah. then we see uh, <laughs> we see Asheng also yeah uh, dealing with tiles and we're thinking oh has he found it is that why he's a bit suspicious of it like yeah. are we not really sure about that and they, and so, yeah. So- oh, 
I was going to say, well, so since it's related to his character, what did you think of the reveal that he's actually the son of the guy that they ended up murdering at the start of the film to get the Bodhidharma body? Um, you know, like the, the premise of this movie is that, you know, plastic surgery in the hands of this physician Lou guy is really advanced. And, <laughs> and uh, Drizzle ends up changing her appearance so she can enter the martial world. And so you sort of know that going in, but you don't realize that Ah Shung is is also somebody who's had his face changed by physician lee and it's it's uh it's a man that she she stabbed in the chest on a bridge and left to die um i was curious how that reveal landed with people yeah i thought that whole reveal was for me it was shocking it was like a mouth drop pick your mouth up drop again you know kind of moments like Wait a second. He was pretty much killed twice. It seemed like at the beginning of the movie, he was like a cat. He came back with nine lives. You which, know? which should have been and a dead giveaway that something was up with him, right? Because we saw him get stabbed really badly at the uh, at the yeah. start. Um, but, but when he fell on the ice the second time, I was like, okay, he's done. Yeah, There's yeah. no coming back well, from that. They one. even well, they even had his heart stop, right? Like it was. <laughs> It's funny because... Oh, go on. on. I I was going to say, because that scene is ambiguous to me. I am wondering if um, Drizzle, in fact, knew that um, Ah Sheng, or at that point he was uh, Ren Feng, um, didn't actually have his heart on the left side because Hmm. she was touching the sword to try and feel the vibrations of the heart and it looked like she realized that there was no heartbeat or what she would expect from the heart clenching at that point in time type of thing. So I'm thinking... Did she actually kill him, or did, did she stab him? Realize that he didn't have the heart there, and just decided to kick him off off onto the ice anyway. Um, it's possible. I think that's a good point. I mean, I think it's definitely possible because um, I mean, you know, she's a master swordsman, and I think that you know she would she must know what it's like to if given how how heightened martial heroes and senses are supposed to be in these kinds of movies i would think that she would know if she struck a heart or not um right and yeah because the, the, the finger tap on the sword was so yeah deliberate Which, that it, it... i i do want to say too that that i lo- those little touches like her like trying to read a pulse by putting her finger on the sword and in the scene in the bank where they basically do like this they do the pressure point paralysis to rob a bank and when they mm-hmm. get to her, she puts her thumb on her waist, and you can just barely see that she's like counteracting their attempt to to paralyze her. They have all these little touches like that in this. So I think I think, and I think that just lends to your point, which is they didn't, you know, that was not accidental that she was putting her hand on the on the hilt like that and and sensing the pulse. Um, yeah, because I mean, one of the big sort of themes of this movie is the whole idea of fate and karma destiny that type of thing right and it, it it feels like it would make sense if you know she at that at, the, at that point decides to renounce her life and then you have the monk coming along to guide her towards this like she was probably you know feeling a bit fed up with um being an assassin at that point she already ran off of the body after all right so and then trying to kill this guy you know, who, who who's you know the, the, the assassins have just killed his father and his entire family basically already um and i i i feel like that's sort of like supposed to be like one of the turning points for her is that when she realizes that she doesn't have to kill anymore well i guess we should get we should get into her character because like at the at the start of the movie she's a murderer she she she's part of this dark stone assassin squad 
and you know she's, she's uh, you know helped murder a, 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 you know uh, the the father and the son or maybe not finish the job but but presumably you know you're left to think he's dead at that moment and and soon after that you see her murder a child and you know in self-defense but she does not hesitate at all um and and over the course of the movie she tries to become more like a normal person and she tries to uh i don't know it seems like she's trying to uh make up for the things that she's done so i don't i don't uh so so you know what what do you guys think of her character in general and uh and her her plot throughout the movie i thought she um that character was very well written i think she shed her um murderous skin very well and blended in with her new face and everything i mean she completely had a 180 change of character she went from murderous villainous to a sweet homemaking wife that just cared about everybody that was in her neighborhood and she took very good care of her husband i mean she all she wanted was out after she met um, monk wisdom and obviously their connection their relationship was i think love at the beginning for her but it ran so much deeper than that um and you could feel it throughout the course of the movie at one point i had actually thought that maybe ah shang was wisdom <laughs> again you know because she was falling in love with ah shang and so i was for a moment there hoping that it was uh wisdom and that those two would be together but I just thought that was a cool, complete 180, and she just wanted to be normal, and she got that chance. And then because she got that chance to be a normal citizen, then Lei Bin thought he had a chance to also be a normal citizen, and uh, the magician also figured he would have the chance. And even Turquoise, I think, might have had an inkling that she could have had the chance to get out, even though the Wheel King had told her that she would never get out. Yeah, she was definitely, Turquoise was definitely pissed off at the idea that anyone could get out. It was like, that was unacceptable to her. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 one thing I like about the character, she's definitely a character where you're really not sure how it's going to end up for her. It's like, I... I was honestly surprised this movie gave us a happy ending. I was like so sure she was not going to get away with this. I was so sure. I was like, but yeah, it it, it all worked out. So just the fact that that the name John Woo was on the cover you know, I thought <laughs> I going in, you know, this is gonna he's got to end in. I mean, and it did. It it did kind of have like that heroic bloodshed at the end, but she survived it. But uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, and uh, oh, I'm sorry, Kenny. Did you want to say something? Yeah, because I, I was going to say like I have a slightly different point of view from uh, Lady Chao Fong there. I don't think that she was actually in love with Monk Wisdom. Um, I feel like what was happening there was she wanted. Oh, so I, I feel like she maybe had been raised as an assassin. She knew nothing else in the world, which is why she was so cold-blooded and machine-like at the beginning, like killing children without mercy, following orders, slaughtering whole families, that type of thing. And yeah, and, and at the bridge scene was when she realized that there could be something different in life. She doesn't have to kill people. 
Um, and the monk was just there to sort of show her the way. Uh, but I, I feel like she was also a bit rebellious at that point still. She wasn't accepting all the fact that there could be change in the world. So it, it, you know, it's sort of like in the five stages of grief thing where she's in denial that she can actually change to be a good person type of thing, which is why she was so hostile against him. I mean, uh, the version I had mentioned that they were dueling for like three months. And, um, and then the, the monk was trying to, you know, cleanse her, um, killing aura type thing, uh, yeah, uh, cleanse her soul type of thing by calming her with with like Buddhist sutras, t- telling her like little uh, what are they call like sayings and anecdotes that type of thing to try and um, get her to be uh, be a normal person again and um, and forget the past. Um, but then there's there's the point where um, the the monk. Uh, says that he's going to actually be a monk because I don't think he was actually a monk at that point. He was um, one of those weird sort of in between stages where he's like, "I'm going to be a monk at some point, yeah. but I'm just gonna learn all your martial arts." And uh... yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> because they even mentioned that he was like at Shaolin from a very early age, and he was like the number, like the number one at like everything, including like the sutras and all that. So I have no idea what his status was, but that was yeah. He said he was. I think either way, I think he was just doing it to provoke her when he said that. I think I think he was already set on this path of sacrificing himself. So then, I, I think it's possible that the monk wisdom was in love with her, possibly because there's a whole talk about being a bridge for, um, you know, be, being a bridge and taking five hundred years of wind, rain, and sun to just so that she would walk over it once or whatever yeah. type of thing, right? That saying was repeated at the beginning and the end type, and, and it's, it's quite pivotal. Like I feel like he wanted to sacrifice himself to redeem her from um, the world of bloodshed. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how he becomes a bridge, I think. I think that's what his... And I think that's sort of... Uh, it, it raises the any love or affection he has for her to like a... You know, like a, like, like Lady Chao Fung was saying, to just like a much higher higher level because he's, he's, he's you know, he's doing it for the... Um, like the, the... What is it? They talk... Uh, when she goes to the other monk, he tells her the story about Ananda who sees this beautiful woman and then... Uh, I think the line I actually wrote it down is um, so any 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 and and the and the Buddha asks him like how he feels and he says uh, you know I I am willing to turn into a stone bridge and endure five hundred years of wind the sun and the rain and so and then you know just so that she'll like you know pass over it basically um, which I think is a pretty cool contrast to the to the wheel king and 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 his romantic sentiments for turquoise where he buries her by the bridge and he and he explains to her like you know do you know why i'm doing this to you and you know it's because i like you so much and every time i walk over that bridge i can remember you and see you and so it's like this complete opposite sort of uh um i don't know i think the bridge metaphor works really well in the movie um Mm. I, I just I, I, I so for the monk wisdom thing, I can think his sort of love was more on the Jesus level of love of like if I can just save one sinner and turn them back to righteousness, then it is worth my life, type of thing. Yeah, uh, rather than yeah, yeah. R- r- rather than being like, well, I have fallen in love with this assassin who I met on the bridge, and now I want to give my life so that she can have a normal life type of uh, yeah scenario. Well, I think it's I think he's I think he's sort of. I think he's uh, responding to 
to an, a feeling of love by taking it down a religious path, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, but I don't know, but it's interesting that you mentioned Jesus because I think John Woo is a Christian. And when I was watching this movie, I was wondering like how much, how much of that is affecting the, cause there's like a lot of Buddhist themes in this. And I was curious how much of that is, is sort of, you know, uh, is sort of being steered in a slightly Christian direction. Um, there's a lot of redemption. Yeah. And I, I guess, like, yeah, it, it's, it's common for Buddhism and Christianity to, to redeem oneself, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, in Christianity, you're supposed to um, confess your sins and uh, accept Jesus and you'll be forgiven type of thing. And whereas in Buddhism, it's more like, well, if you do good, um, you can build up karma to make up for the bad uh, um, things that you've done type. And it's a very prevalent theme throughout the movie. I mean, there's the whole thing, the whole movie is a redemption arc for, uh, for drizzle, right? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, 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 um, it's very much so. And, uh, and like, and like Adam was saying, you don't know, you don't know how it's going to end, end for her, uh, by the end of it. Um, now what, what did people think of the villain of, uh, of wheel King? The, uh, he's, he's, a uh, he's the head of dark stone and he, you know, he's got this mustache, which we find out is a fake mustache because he's a eunuch. And, um, you know, and, and his whole thing is he just wants to he wants to be able to to regenerate, uh, you know, so that he, he can undo his castration. He believes the Bodhidharma remains are the key to that. Um, and, you know, what, what do people think of him? He was I, I well at the beginning I wasn't really sure about him, but as you sort of learn his motivations, he, he grew on me. Uh, unlike certain parts of his body, um, <laughs> um, and, I, and actually, there's one scene I want to point out is when he walks up to Ah Sheng for the first time, and he looks at his face and starts stroking his own mustache. <laughs> that was a really good scene. So I, at that point, I wasn't really sure whether it was like, uh, oh, uh, Drizzle picked someone who's got a mustache like me, type of thing, <laughs> or if it was like a. Oh, well, afterwards, it was, I understood that. I was like, oh, he's jealous that he can grow his own facial hair. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. But at that point, I was a little bit confused as to whether, you know, maybe he was trying to add the whole love or sexual infatuation with Drizzle type I thing think, going on. So I think that there might have been some of that with Drizzle. But I also think that that touching of his mustache scene was like, I think it was that, what you were saying. But I think it also might have been an indication that maybe he knew that Ashung wasn't who he said he was. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe he recognized that that guy just had his face reconstructed by physician Lee. And that's why he was touching his mustache. Cause he's, cause like his mustache is like his mask. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so like, 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 you know, how like a moment later or maybe a moment before when he, when he appears, uh, and talks to a drizzle and he's covering his face and he says, he says, what, you don't like your face. So you had to have it changed. And she says, you know, why are you wearing a mask? Do you not like your face either? And he pulls down his mask, but then you realize, oh, maybe she's talking. Maybe she knew that he's a eunuch, and she's actually talking about that. So I feel like a lot of the scenes. Well, she did know. I think she did know because remember, wisdom had told her the secret of the um, of the Bodhi Dharma's remains before he died. Mm. So she made that connection. I think early on. Okay, that yeah, I think I think you're probably right because I felt like in the scene where she talked about his, you know, his face that 
that she might have she might have known uh, something. Um, or maybe she's been with them, like, uh, you know, they've been together for so long, as uh, the Assassin crew, that um, she's heard his real voice. Like, the Unix have a very distinct sounding voice, yeah. and uh, and put together with what Wisdom told her, maybe that she figured it out that way. Well, and that was pretty cool, too, because he, he, he has this really low, affected voice that he uses throughout the movie. The Batman voice. Yeah, but then by the end, <laughs> he just kind of lets it go, because it's like, you know, he, is he's had this big battle with with drizzle and and he's speaking at a much higher pitch and so i thought i i don't know i like i liked sort of the way that you know because his voice, his voice sounded weird and you're like why does he have that weird deep voice and then it totally makes sense by the end of the film um i gotta say like throughout the whole movie there are lots of these little moments i mean there's lots of foreshadowing, which I think if we, if I watch the movie um, a second time now, I, I would pick up on a lot more than I did the first time round. Uh, yeah, well, when you when you know what the characters of um, backstory and uh, secrets are, then what they do can take on a very different meaning. Yeah, I think so. I think this. I mean, my my impression of this movie, you know, having seen it, you know, a number of times, is that. Uh, that they do do a good job of sort of foreshadowing things and laying the, like literally laying the groundwork. Like you lit like in the bricks, you literally, and I've said this before, but you literally have that sort of, uh, you know, foundation being built for what's to come in the movie. So it's good, um, it's good for giving you clues and then distracting you too. Like, you know, the whole whetstone thing, that's like a huge clue, but it like, there's so much going yeah. on in that scene that it's like, I didn't spend like one second thinking, why is he buying a whetstone? Then instantly I forgot till it came up again. Well, I, and I think that's one of the scenes where the turquoise character works well, where she's sort of following mm-hmm. him around. Cause she's so like petty and bitter that, that they've, that, 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 that that the drizzles being allowed to leave Darkstone, even though she, you know, you know, she probably won't ultimately be allowed to. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and so she's following a shung around and she just thinks he's a total moron and doesn't understand why drizzle is, is giving him the time of day. And, and she says, the only interesting thing he did was he bought a whetstone. And then, <laughs> but like you said, there's so much other stuff that's going on. She's got like the melon in the bag and pretending that she cut his head off. So, you know, yeah, that's that's a diversion from the uh, the whetstone clue they're yeah. feeding you, which is the real clue in the scene. And speaking of diversions, one thing the 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 bean curd wrap that came up mm. um, uh-huh. that that uh, drizzle picked up while uh, on the way back from um, the getting the the uh, Bodhi corpse from the graveyard. I I thought I was sure that what happened was that. Um, she had dug out the secret from within the Bodhi corpse and hid it within the bean curd wrap, <laughs> and that when he was eating it, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, and that when the uh, when Ashen eats it, that he would bite into like a finger or something, or uh, well, the... yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, or maybe it was the wrapping around there, which might have like a secret manual um, written on it. I, I was like, oh, the, the, there's something interesting going on with the bean curd. The, but there, no, there was, it was just bean curd. There was something interesting going on with the bean curd. He, the uh, uh, turquoise mentioned that he couldn't even afford to buy the bean curd from the stall, and that's what prompts her to buy it for him on the way home. And so then when he sees it, he, you know, he, I think it's like it's it. He recognizes the gesture. And I, I think that has a big impact on his decision 
to not kill her at the end of the movie. Do you know what I mean? When he mm-hmm. when when they sort of have that big uh, uh, reveal where he, when he's at her grave and he has the uh, the wanted poster of her face. Um, but I think I, I actually want to say as well. There's like a, uh, I was looking through um, the movie as we as we were um, talking just now, and there's one scene where he's walking along. Like it's, it's, what, what, this is when um, Drizzle was sort of stalking him, and you know, highlighting all his good points moments. <laughs> like he's walking along, and he's actually eating like a bean curd thing, <laughs> and a bunch of kids kick, kick a ball or something into his hand, and he knocks it knocks it on the ground, and it's like no. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that they're already starting to shadow. I think that might be one of the scenes that you have access to that we don't yeah uh, i don't remember i don't remember either. that oh, no. that would have been a cool scene to see <laughs> like yeah some 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 kids were playing or something he's, he's walking along like with, with like a bean curd wrap like looking really happy and suddenly like a ball comes out of nowhere and knocks his hand and he drops it on the floor and it's like looking in despair downwards and these kids run up to him and he's like oh it's okay you're kids and he pats their head and picks it up and starts eating it again and you have like drizzle like in the corner hidden away in the shadows looking at him and smiling at it okay oh that's why so- she buys the bean Curd at the end, so uh, that, uh, and also because um, Turquoise Leaf mentions the whole bean curd thing, right? But it was just like it, it, they foreshadowed the fact that he loved bean curd already at that point in the okay. movie, apparently. It's just like didn't realize, but, but I also like the bean curd thing because he's like eating it as fuel before the big battle that's coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the perfect, like, it's his protein it, bar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so oh, I'm sorry, were you gonna say something, Adam? No, I say I remember. I do actually remember thinking at the time, you know, during the scene, you're right out of fueling up. It being kind of odd that it's like, you know, when it when it was kind of revealed, he was gonna pull out the sword and everything. He did take this moment to eat it before he actually started preparing for the people that were gonna come to attack him. But but yeah, I like that him fueling up. What did you guys think about the uh, naked turquoise in his bed? Oh, that's, I thought that was a funny scene because he, I, cause when that happened, I was like, oh my God, he is so screwed. Like you cannot get out of that situation. That's like, like she, like turquoise is basically trying to disrupt their, their marriage and she decides mm-hmm. to just get naked and go into his bed. And so when he gets home, he finds her there and you're thinking, there's no way he can spin this. There's there's nothing he can do. He's, he's See, no I, matter what he does, he's damned. But he just starts screaming at the top of his lung. There's a mad naked woman in my bed, and he, uh, everybody and, come see. Yeah, yeah. See, I had a different reaction because as soon as she did that, I had the reaction. It's like you know, Drizzle isn't gonna believe that her husband is like sleeping with. Her. I thought she's gonna see them anyway, and he's mature. And I, for me, I was talking earlier how I found her interesting because she's so much more immature than all the other characters. And I thought that was one of the scenes that really highlight. Just like, ooh, I've got this trick. I'm gonna make you know, I'm gonna mess up their marriage. And it's like they're like two mature adults, and they're not they're not gonna fall for her ridiculous teenage tricks. So I, I, I yeah, but that scene is great. That was a highlight of the movie, well, definitely. And you were proven right because he basically does exactly the right thing to, you know, <laughs> to, to get her out. And she's totally embarrassed by it. And it's, she yeah. just looks like a fool. So, you know, I, I, thought, that's, I thought that was a funny scene. It, wor- it worked really well. Um, I thought it was great too. And, uh, and I think also, I mean, they're trying to, you know, that was sort of her character's other strength. Was she, you know, she, because she wasn't really, I don't think until they, until they bury her and dig her up and start teaching her Kung Fu. I don't think she even really knew Kung Fu or anything. I think she just, you mm-hmm. know, murdered her husband and his family with a knife. And, uh, and her only other skill was that she could, you know, seduce people. So I think that, uh, you know, that was just like her other, 
her other talent that she was using. But um but yeah, I don't know. Um and what was it? So uh what did people think of the uh the the couple that tried to steal the uh the other half of the Bodhidharma from the, the chief of the bank? The you know, the like again, the the MacGuffin in the movie this is this Bodhidharma body that's got two parts and one one half of it is possessed by the the chief of United Bank, who's uh, who's unable to walk, and I think he wants it so that he can restore his his feet. And uh, and this this couple from uh, what is it, Kong Tong sect, uh, that were like a, a master and student that fell in love and become married, uh, end up going there and and making an exchange, and then killing the guy and 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 trying to to make off with it. It's funny because yeah, you, you, you mentioned the parallel between the relationship of uh, this Kong Tong um, elder and his disciple um, with uh, Yang Guo and uh, Xiaolong Nu, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a perversion. But at the same time, the, the Bodhi corpse is basically a parallel to the Heaven Sword and Dragon Saber. It's in two parts, and if you get them both, you will obtain supreme martial arts or whatever and rule the world type of thing. And... Uh, I was just find, I just found it interesting that um yeah there's little elements like these which are from Jinong's uh, novel series whereas what you've read set in Plata it should be more on the Gulong uh, type of story. Yeah, no, because that definitely to me does seem like a direct reference to to you know to the couple from Return of Condor Heroes, um, and it's kind of like a. I don't know, bizarro world version of them where they're not true to each other and they're just like, you know, really uh, deceitful, uh, you know, uh, sort of scum of the martial world types. So, uh, and I think that's, I think that's a valid point about the, the body being kind of like the heaven sword dragon saver. Cause it, it was weird even that like they almost didn't need the whole, if you have this, you'll control the martial world thing because its ability to help you restore lost body parts and stuff would, I think, be more than enough to to justify people going after it. Um, but they did kind of add that in there. What really it makes you think of Heaven Sword Dragon Saber. So, um, but otherwise, I do think it feels like a Gulong sort of style of story where you know you have sort of this you know these these sort of eccentric characters in this grimy martial world trying to extricate themselves and you know like everybody pretty much everybody in the movie doesn't want to be what they are like everybody from the wheel king to you know to to drizzle to um to to lee bin and the magician they all want to be something more um i don't know maybe turquoise is content but 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 i think uh, apart from See, I'm her. not sure she is because, like I said, the fact she resents the fact that Drizzle could leave so much mm. just seems to imply there's there's got to be some discontent fueling that, you know? Or not? Well, no, I mean, I guess you know, and and and, and I guess she is kind of like uh, at the start of the when we first meet her, she, they're going to execute her for killing her husband, and when they say that you know you're scheduled to die tomorrow, she just smiles. So. Mm-hmm. That does indicate someone who's, you know, not, um, I don't all know. there. Yeah. Well, not all there, but also not content with their life. Um, uh, you know, and maybe her way of dealing with it is just going psycho and killing people. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, so I don't know any, any additional thoughts on the film? 
No, I we do, we haven't really talked spoken about the choreography that much, have we? Like, do, no. do any of the, the, the which of the fight scenes stood out the most to you guys? Um, for me, I think it was that scene where Darkstone turn on each other. Um, mm-hmm. That yeah. I thought I thought that you get a highlight of everybody's talents, and 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 also the 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 final battle between Drizzle and Wheel King, I thought was was quite good. Um, and and the other one that stood out was the the scene where Drizzle is walking through the village, not the village, but like that little settlement, and 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 the kid runs up to her and she slices him, and then there's this big fight between her and all the people there. Um, you know, I thought that scene was pretty pretty smooth looking. Yeah, I guess the one that really stands out to me um, is the the one where you know they're all turning against each other and um, just the contemplation of Le Bin really makes that scene stand out. But I also like the um, short battle between Drizzle and, um, and Turquoise. I thought that stood out to me. Just the two women that are so opposite, one's ready to kill and the other one doesn't want to kill anymore. Um, and the bank scene. I also enjoyed that one too. Just yeah. anytime uh, Drizzle got to use her sword and the movements of the sword bending every which way, I thought was really cool. Yeah, and I, I've got to go with the the dragon stone. What, dark what, stone. What is it? Dark stone. Yeah, I'm like that's not right. Uh, dark stone. I've got to go with them all turning on each other too. Because yeah, it's it's just a scene where you're really not sure what's going to happen during that scene. So it just on top of being. Uh, interesting you know fight scene it's just got a lot of dramatic weight to it because I, I really wasn't sure which way things were going to swing there yeah i think for me it was it, it was the village scene where uh, we first see or it's not first but um get to see a bit more of drizzle in action with uh yeah with, with a sword play there um the bending sword is quite cool um and I think as well, it's sort of it's slightly different. Like her moves were definitely more ruthless there. Like all, all of her, sort, all the piercing stuff is always into like the vital points. Yeah. Um, and we can see, you know, her development through the through the movies. Like her, her martial arts soften a lot, and that she doesn't, you know, she refuses to kill anyone. And I don't know. And I, I feel like, yeah, it was a very good introduction to her style of martial arts and. Um, and it's believable as well. Like uh, having a very flexible sword is not out of the realm of possibility. And like, I just like that. I like I mentioned previously. I like sort of trickery fighting where you know we we you think like she's missed, but no, her sword's just gonna bend around and stab you in the in the shoulder type of thing. And that's just there. Uh, yeah, that's my highlight. I think. I thought I thought too that the emotional payoff in the scenes was good. Like the fight, the way that the fight scenes sort of help to bring some of the drama into focus mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. whether it was like her coldness when she killed that kid and you're like you know geez you know that's that's uh <laughs> like i know the kid was trying to kill you so like i know she didn't have a choice but like she did not stop at all to think about it and uh but then but then at the end when um you know she's sort of like again it's she doesn't die but it still feels like a kind of has that classic john woo heroic bloodshed where she's sort of you know sacrificing herself physically for Ashung so he can get his revenge and 
and just the music and the and the way that the fight choreography is playing out it really sort of builds on that and i found i found it like very moving so um and and i liked i just liked at the end when the when the wheel king sort of just he just is sort of he's kind of slowly coming undone by the end of the film like he just his, his organization is falling apart his his love life is not intact at all and you know he, he buries turquoise by the bridge and then you know by the end of the movie his hair is just all coming down and it, and his voice is just completely unrestrained and and he's cackling madly before he dies and counting the number of times that drizzle has hit him i thought that was a pretty cool death for a villain so so I, I I know I liked I liked the the way that the fight choreography worked the story. Also the 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 fight scene in the cave with Wisdom, I thought was pretty cool. There were some really cool moments with, uh, especially the way that he was sort of, the way that he was announcing each technique's name as he was using it. I thought really worked, um, and it just kind of and, and and because that became important later in the movie, you know that it was called back to so much. Yeah, I liked how it all wound up at the end where there really was there weren't any questions at the end of the movie for me. I loved how it was brought back. Uh, the final fight brought back wisdom to the end of the movie. And you, she used his techniques that he taught her in order to get the revenge for her husband. I, I just thought how that tied in all together was brilliant. So I did, I did have a question about that because so the the premise at the beginning of the movie there was that um, the version of the water sword that uh, Drizzle had learned was incomplete. Um, she was missing four moves. Yeah. But was what Monk Wisdom teaching her four move the, the four moves to complete the set or four moves to break the water sword technique? I think it was four moves to complete the set. But I'm not a hundred percent sure because that's that because he said these four moves and then he said and then he announced each he listed four moves he listed um uh where is it he listed uh hide weakness and deafness use both darkness and light reveal clarity and obscurity which I thought was the coolest move of all of them and uh, in surrender you become strong um, and they had slightly different names depending on the version of the subtitles but. Um, so I think it was those four moves, but I think he might've also been giving her a hint at to how to deal with the master that he was worried about her facing. Um, though it's worth pointing out at the end, Wheel King actually knocks her to the ground. And so he kind of gets the final blow in this battle. Um, and then he collapses from the wounds he's taken. So, um, yeah, because right. uh, the Wheel King himself said that he had, he taught her an incomplete version. So I was just wasn't, wasn't yeah. You know, that that was like one question I had was that whether what whether Monk Wisdom actually knew the full set of Water Sword technique and it was teaching her, or if it was just teaching her how to break the techniques that she that she already knew. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I was trying to figure that out, and I still kind of had trouble knowing exactly. Yeah, I, I got the feeling that it was how. Um, to counter um, the four weak um, uh, moves in her set, or the four missing or incomplete ones, however you want to say it, I thought I I don't know. To me, when he said that um, if these four moves can break your um, technique, then that kind of implied to me that 
um, the moves were something that she could use later on. Yeah, I mean, I think we could analyze the fights, the <laughs> themes. You could analyze so many different aspects of this movie for a considerable length of time, and it still you still might have stuff to talk about, um, which I think is, again, a sign of, of how good it is. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's almost 7.30, and I know Adam's going to have to leave so I wanna I'm gonna close it out here, but uh, but we'll be back on uh, next week uh, with another film. Um, I don't remember what offhand what movie we're watching. I don't know if anybody recalls offhand, but uh, um, but we'll maybe put a link down at the bottom this time so that if people want to watch the movie in advance, they can. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you later. Bye.